afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk's the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, well, the program's designed for someone just like me. Because you know there's a lot I don't understand. It doesn't have to be something soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been on my mind for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch-style talk with the pastor is the best way to understanding. And that is what this program is all about. Today's guest pastor is Bill Swirla from Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. So you can send your questions by email at any time during the show to letstalk at kfuo.org. Or call in during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, that's 314-821-0850. That includes Metro East. Or anywhere in the lower 48 states, you can call in toll-free at 1-800-730-2727. Bill, welcome back to the Front Porch. Hey, Kip, good to be back. I, I, I'm always interested in the fact that I'm the alternative to a deep theological discussion. Well, <laughs> that's, that's what your intro says. If you know, if, you know, this is not the place if you want a deep theological discussion. So here I am. Okay. Well, you know, the thing I'm, that I'm thinking about is that uh, you know, I hear a lot of a lot of our talk, a lot of our programs here. You know, like uh, Book of Concord or yeah, yeah, yeah. Sharp Iron. And this is pastors talking to pastors, which is okay. Yeah, which nobody but pastors understands. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's large, way yeah. over the head. And here yeah, I am. I'm, I'm just even. A... I don't understand what they're talking about. So. Good heavens! Do you know what C.K. G.K. Chesterton once said? He said, "When I wanted to impress the philosophers, I said something they didn't understand, and they were impressed. When oh. I wanted to impress the theologians, I said something I didn't understand." <laughs> well, as I say in the intro, there's a lot I really don't get. I really don't no, understand. No. But so. you know, but understanding is not necessarily all that vital to belief. Or maybe it is. I mean, you've got to understand what the word means. You have to understand what Christianity means and what, what we are supposed to do. But, you know, there's a lot of the finer points I don't get. And sometimes they're serious, sometimes not. I mean... Uh, Obviously, well, though, you know they, what I you know what I like in it. You know, let's use the sports analogy, okay? People people sort of buy into sports at various levels. You know, sports fan, a fan of the game, may know a lot of things about the game, may know a lot about the players, and enjoy going to the game. Get really excited, get into it, that the game is part of his or her life. But they don't necessarily sit around reading and debating the rule book or or talking to referees or things uh, like that. See, and, and so, yeah, it helps to know the rules of the game. And it helps to know a, a thing or two about, you know, how the game works and maybe its strategies and, and whatnot. But not everybody buys in at that level. And that doesn't make you less of a fan. It just makes you a different kind of fan. Now, to, you know, to pull that analogy through its point of comparison, uh, knowing lots of stuff about my doctrinal minutia is not the same thing as a living relationship in faith with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? That's true. But a, a living, a living faith relationship with Christ is curious and wants to uh, constantly see what the Word has to say. So there's a kind of a curiosity that that's a healthy interest in 
doctrine. They're also unhealthy interests <laughs> in doctrine too. So I, I just, you know, I just add that because you are correct. It's not, it's not about right knowing, but about believing, and there's yeah. a difference. Well, for example, but they're not strictly separated either. No. Well, for example, I will never understand the infield fly rule, but that still doesn't mean it will detract me from watching the Cardinals <laughs> want the Cubs. Easy. That's the infield fly rule makes totally good sense. That's so the infielders don't fake out the runners on base. And and come up with a cheesy double play. You know, every rule, every rule, uh, well, not every rule, but a lot of rules exist because somebody, somebody got clever and exploited a loophole. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's what, I, that's what I love about sports. Sports is about 95% uh, athletic prowess, skill, training, you know, this kind of thing. And there's this, like, 5% cheat element. You know, how, how much can you get away with? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, it's refereed largely by, by human beings who miss things, although with uh, instant replay, that gets a little tougher. But, you know, you notice it's always, it's always a, a kind of a cat and mouse game of not getting caught. And that's part of the game, too. See, so it's kind of, kind of interesting. It's kind of how, how close to the edge can you get to get that, that ever so slight advantage. That's what, make, that's what makes sports pretty awesome, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go a little bit close to the edge here. Because I've oh. got something that has been on my mind. You're going to edge walk. Yeah, one of them things. <laughs> then you're going to push me over. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I, know how, I know how this show works. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, because mm-hmm. I'm excused. I'm 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 a layman. I don't know. You, you just sit there in the glass booth making trouble, and then you get guys on the phone, and then we, we're the ones who you know have to pay the ultimate price. But hey, that's what. Go Randy, ahead. What, that's what, why this program's what fun. You, what edge are you walking on today? Christmas. Christmas, yay! Hey, we're getting close. By the way, happy happy uh, week of rejoicing, Gaudete uh, Sunday and week. This is the rose colored candle. If you if your Advent wreath has a rose colored candle, this mm-hmm. is the week to light it. Okay, it's not next week; it's this week, uh. Advent three. And we're kind of cheating. Speaking of cheating, we're we're, we're kind of cheated out of Advent four. It could be worse, you know. Uh, Christmas could be on a Monday, and then <laughs> it would be over. It'd be that you know we would just have like morning is morning is Advent four, evening is Eve, and the next day is Christmas Day. So no, yeah. no week of Advent four, but we do have a couple of days. Well, so. Regrettably, I'm not going to be able to make church this Sunday. My wife has made plans, and uh, if Mama Bear ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So. Mm. Secret to a uh, to good marriage is to compromise and do it her way. Hmm. But I Including will. Including church, huh? Yeah. I'll have to <laughs> well, that one for a while. Yeah. Well, that, that's a, that's a little bit. We are on a Missouri Synod sponsored radio show. Good we point. can't say, oh yeah, well, that's cool. I understand. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, not. I'm not. I'm not going to give you any props for that. Moving okay. on. Moving on. Well, I will go to the Christmas service. Okay. Now. Christmas. Here's what here's my what's on my head on my head on my mind. <laughs> <sighs> I need more coffee. Uh, here's what is on my mind about Christmas. Ah, now here we are, as you pointed out, good LCMS Lutherans, and this is a a joyous spiritual celebration. It is. How does Santa Claus fit into all this? <laughs> that, and what do we I, tell our I, kids? I, you know, we're trying I didn't to see that. I didn't see that coming. I, I was all set with you know the word, the word incarnate. The word became flesh and dwelt ah. among us. That's really. And by the way, you know we should we should kind of get that 
get that out there. We'll get the essence of Christmas out there, and then we'll get to Santa Claus, Casey. Yeah. Because, because Christmas is really about, it's, the, it's Christ's Mass. It's the divine service for the nativity of uh, our Lord. And so it, it is a, a calendared feast day. Um, it really is a day, and then, you know, in some places it's kind of extended to the 12 days of Christmas, and that has its own history, too. But it's it's a, a feast day. It's, it's um, you know, December 25th in the West and uh, January 6th in the East, and it doesn't matter which one you go. Or, you know, my Ukrainian people, uh, I was just reminded today that Ukrainian Christmas, I think, is, is uh, January 7th. So um, you can get, like, double <laughs> you, can, you can get like double presents or something. Yeah, and I'm sure there's there's some some deep scholarly uh, exam, examination as to whether or not that this really was the time of the of the birth. Probably not, actually, because they oh, talk- I don't think anybody really thinks that Jesus was actually born on December no. 25th or January 6th. Yeah, um, well, they talk about the shepherds, you know, in the hills over Judea, over Jerusalem, and they didn't do that that time of year. They were that was a springtime thing. Well, yeah, I mean the, that that line is that that uh, it, they were there were lambs, so they had to they couldn't come back to the pen; they had to stay out in the field. But fact is, they're lambing constantly, so the, yeah, I don't think that's really much of a a time indicator. the The tax census doesn't help you because that that has its own set of problems in terms of locating it, even for the year, much less the month and the day. Um, the two explanations that are running, I know you want to talk about Santa Claus, but, but the, the, the two explanations that run for, let's just take the West, December 25th, is that it's kind of a Christian appropriation of an old pagan holiday. Ah, the, that's the, part the, of what I wanted to get into. Sun. And uh, that seems to, you know, that rises and falls uh, over the years. And some people get worked up about this. But, you know, always bear in mind that Christianity is a notorious appropriator of culture. I mean, it, it, it has this ability like a sponge to just suck up cultural things and baptize them and use them. Uh, it tends to use them after the original meaning is dead. Uh, you know, I'll give you, the, you know, your favorite one is a Christmas tree. Yeah, there's nothing uniquely a Christian about that, but but these days it's actually seen as a Christian symbol. Uh, you know, it, it's really it's really an old Northern European kind of pagan practice. But by the time it became a Christian thing, and was invested with Christian meaning, the old paganism was long dead. You know, it's not like it's not like you're you're it's not like Christianity hijacks things. It's just stuff lays around in culture. Symbols lay around. And then you can kind of uh, pick them up because nobody's using them. <laughs> that means take care of your symbols, by the way, because if somebody else might pick them up, you never know. Yeah. Um, but but anyway, um, so the one theory is that it's it's the old Roman holiday, the Invincible Sun. But yeah, you know, one of the problems with that is by the time Christmas is celebrated in the church, which isn't until the fourth century, it took four hundred years to kind of get to that. Um, the old Roman religion was kind of pretty much dead. No, nobody bought into this. It's one reason that Christianity uh, rose to become sort of the dominant unifying religion of the Roman Empire is that they didn't have anything any longer. People are kind of bored with the, the, the whole Roman gods and that system. Nobody was really taking that seriously. So Constantine was kind of brilliant in terms of making Christianity the uh, the legal religion of the of the realm because it gave a kind of a religious unity to Rome again. Um, 
so that's one theory that uh, it is sort of an alternative to you know worshiping the sun that's finally decided to turn around before sinking off the edge of the earth uh, because the solstice is a few days before right the winter solstice mm -hmm. so you know it's looking like the sun's going to disappear now it's rising again and you have like great sort of bible passages like this you know the rising of the sun and mm -hmm. you know this so okay yeah that's so cool. i can play with the words here you know they, they stop yeah. they stop worshiping the sun to worship the sun <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly and 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 i i gotta say christianity is not above doing that and and you know it's 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 a redefinition of symbol it's an appropriation of symbol and and i think it's partly due to the fact that that you know christ is is he's the universal christ he's he's the the one through whom all things were made in whom all things hold together he's mm -hmm. the savior and redeemer of the world and so all the world stuff kind of gets pulled through Christ and his death and resurrection and is useful at some some level. So that's one idea. The other idea that's tantalizing and I like, uh, and it goes back to Augustine mentions it, um, is that the there was this notion that a prophet died on his conception day. Oh. I, I, I don't know what goes into that, but you know, basically the day he was conceived is also the day he died. And this 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 was this was the mark of a prophet. Well, Jesus' death, when it comes to locating that on the calendar, that's a little bit better because we have a, a small range of years and we know it's Passover time, so we know it's spring. So March 25th is not a bad, you know, that, that kind of fits. Mm -hmm. Now, nine months from March 25th is December 25th. Ta-da, there you have it. And, uh, and there's, a, there's a growing body of scholars that really points to that as behind the formalism of... of um, you know, it's linked to Easter. It's an Easter linkage of the dating of Christmas. And it would also account for the East because the East dates, dates uh, Eastern Orthodoxy dates Easter differently. And so it also will date uh, Christmas differently, too. Hmm. So you have that, that linkage. And I kind of like that. I, I think there's that, that holds a lot of weight for me. But I'm not bothered by um, appropriated paganisms either. You know, whatever, whatever works. Yeah. Well, those those are tools that that we have here. Uh, exactly. First article gifts, if you will, that that we can use to bring the gospel to people who right. otherwise wouldn't have heard it. Right, and and it also serves a practical purpose too, because um, if the culture is still having parties and doing stuff, you can't take stuff away. Every pastor knows that the easiest substitution or the easiest change is a change by substitution. So you put something new in place of something old, and so um, you don't want to take away the holiday. You just want to redefine it. And so the Christians had something to do in in this dreary, dark time in the northern hemisphere, at mm -hmm. least of of uh you know the late late december early january and and they had good reason to celebrate in the son of god having been born so you know it works well also there was the uh, the fact that a lot of the uh, the more conservative uh christian groups in the in the early united states uh actually were against celebrating christmas i think it was even illegal in massachusetts oh oh yeah yeah well you know america being calvinist and puritan uh, they they wanted nothing to do with any of that stuff, uh, and so so Christmas, all of that was seen as you know either Roman Catholic or just downright unChristian, and so any notions of Santa Claus, Christmas trees, or even the celebration of Christmas 
was uh, was forbidden uh, in a lot of the Calvinist and Puritanical colonies. Uh, ironically, it was a, it was a Lutheran church that first introduced a Christmas tree in church. And oh, I didn't a, know that. Yeah, it was a congregation in Cleveland, and uh, and it caused a, a major stir. It, this this made the Cleveland Plain Dealer, the the newspaper, uh, <laughs> published an account of this. And I guess the pastor got into huge hot water. I think Schwann was the pastor, but he got in huge hot water with his elders for erecting a Christmas tree in the chancel of uh, of the church in Cleveland. I forgot the name of the church now, but so but the Lutherans were up to that mischief. So yeah, the, this this is a kind of thing where a lot of the cultural stuff that we um, like and we have a lot of um, emotional ties to with Christmas. Uh, in the early part of America, were just simply absent. Mm-hmm. I have a kind of a modern uh, version of that where I live because I live in an area. It's very multicultural, very diverse, um, and it's very um, Asian forward and Hispanic forward. So you know, um, European people are a minority where I live, and uh, it's kind of interesting that Santa Claus is not a major. It's not a major deal here. Hmm. Not a major deal. You you really don't you you know the kids do not talk about Santa Claus. There's very little very little. In fact, I would guess that a lot of the kids in our preschool or our after school, if you showed them a picture jolly old Saint Nick, they might not know who that is. Oh, that's terrible. Because his, oh, I think it's I think it's awesome because Hispanic culture and and uh, Chinese culture they don't have they don't have that. Uh, now Christmas is huge in Hispanic culture, but it's different. Uh, you know, they have the, they have their parades through the streets. They have, you know, this, this thing where, you know, they reenact the Holy family that has no place to stay. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, they, they, they love, uh, Epiphany, the three Kings. Mm-hmm. And so, so, um, a lot of the biblical story becomes, um, reenactment, community reenactment, an excuse for parade and food and, and uh, and a party, but it, it's it's kind of funny because it's anchored in the biblical narrative, not in uh, side legends and myths and other sorts of things. So it's kind of it's it's actually kind of interesting. Well, I remember as a child uh, we used to do that. I remember uh, we'd we'd do the uh, the Christmas plays and uh, mm-hmm. and the Christmas songs in school. Of course, you know I went to a Lutheran school for a while, but uh, I'm trying to remember if we had had that in public schools back then. Oh, well, I did. Uh, we could. We had Christmas programs. We did that. Yeah, we we sang all kinds of Christmas yeah. songs in public school. That wasn't a that wasn't a problem back in the sixties <laughs> and seventies. Uh. Even in high school, we had to, we had our our band had an annual Christmas concert along with the choirs in the high school, and they did mostly. I would say that ninety percent of the material that they were doing was um, overtly christian mm-hmm. christmas uh, music uh along with some holiday winter seasonal stuff thrown in too well i just read an article where in in britain uh there's a, a school district now where they changed the uh the wording uh away in a manger and uh, it's, what they did was they got rid of the little lord jesus to the little baby jesus because <laughs> calling him a lord might be offensive to someone Oh my! Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. It's it's getting it's getting ridiculous. I just ignore most of it and just continue to do what I do. Um, but yeah, the yeah. 
I, I, if there's any, if if there is a cultural heresy that just makes me nuts, it's revisionism. It's it's where mm-hmm. you have to, you know, you know, you don't you don't acknowledge. Maybe you don't believe something today. Okay, that's fine, whatever. But but you can't retool everything from the past that you don't like or don't agree with or don't believe in. You know, and and, and so, but that's what we're getting is. Oh yeah, is from Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day, and well, that's fine too. I mean, I, there's a, there's yeah, every every historic event is complicated i'll grant that and and this is this is not really that's an interesting discussion but you know fact is you know guy named columbus did did exist and and for whatever his motives i mean he didn't exactly discover uh the new world but he's, he's you know he's one of the one of the people who put it on the map so to speak so anyway yeah and the and the Italians love them, you know. And, <laughs> so what do you? What am I going to say? Yeah. But I, revisionism you, you can't you can't do like the old Soviet Union and block people out from the the group picture. They're sure trying. You know, and and away in a manger, uh, yeah, there's a little you know children's Christmas song that that arises in a context. Silent night arises in a context. Mm-hmm. Um, all the Christmas you you can't escape the religious. Uh, content of christmas if you're going to sing christmas carols because they they carols were a form of they're not really hymnody but if you look at the oxford book of carols it's an interesting collection because it's it's really um enculturated religion and so you have a lot of symbolism going on even the holly and the ivy these are these 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 have religious um uh, overtones to them. Okay, what are they? I, 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 I don't know. Oh, you caught me on that. Well, <laughs> of all the trees in the wood, the holly bears the crown. So the holly is the Virgin Mary. Oh. See, she she bears the king. And and the ivy, um, that one I that one I'd have to look up. But maybe on the, on the break, I can I can look at I can look it up. There there's some great books that that go through all of these um, these. These symbols and these these cultural things, mostly from Britain and Germany. Nobody does cultural Christmas like Britain and Germany. They love it. They love it. You know, that's where you get Dickens' Christmas Carol mm-hmm. and all of that. Very little has anything to do with with Christ and the Word become flesh and dwelt among us, that kind of thing. But uh, cultural Christmas is enormous um, in those cultures. And because we're composed of a lot of immigrants from Northern Europe, except where I live, um, we have a kind of our own Americanized version of European Christmas, which is what Santa Claus, St. Nicholas, is all about. Well, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, one of the th- one of the things I love watching, uh, as you mentioned, the Christmas Carol, and I've actually got saved the uh, version that uh, Patrick Stewart did. Mm. And I, thought- I like the Mr. Magoo animated one. No, <laughs> I remember serious. that it, one, too. It's yeah. really good. It's, it's, it's quite faithful yeah, Jim Backus to the, did the voice. Uh-huh. It, but it's, it's actually quite good, and it's, it's done as a staged musical. It's, 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 it's good. <laughs> it, it's very good. But, but, you know, what we have in America, it tends to be just like our food and, and a lot of uh, American culture. It's, it's a fusion of a variety of of european mm. cultures and well, our santa claus is really a fusion of of german characters norwegian scandinavian british 
And, of course, we can go into the background of who was St. Nicholas. There's there's a whole story on that. Oh, yeah. but, but talking <laughs> has, about, about... Has no resemblance whatsoever to Santa no. Claus. But, yeah, there is yeah. a St. Nicholas, too. Yeah. Well, you know, in... Uh, Here's one uh, about culture. I won't. I'll say it, but what the heck? Cultural appropriation. I could say it because I'm a half German. Okay, uh, you could tell one way how you're a Lutheran is that if you sing the first verse of Silent Night in German, even if you don't speak the language. <laughs> See to show you to show you give you a contextual thing. We did a we did a little Christmas program for our after school uh, ministry that we have, which is basically an after hours uh-huh. uh, thing. But we you know we bring content and and we also have chapel and we 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 do things with the kids. But they were singing some songs and they did Silent Night and they did the first stanza in Spanish. Ooh, so there. Ah. Well, I remember, and, and we did we did Jesus loves me. This I know in English, Spanish, and Mandarin Chinese. Ooh, that's neat. That's that's how we roll. Well, I remember when I was a very young child, uh, my mother and my brother were singing O Tannenbaum, and they were they both were German speakers. I wasn't. And as a young child, I was singing Atomic Bomb, Atomic Bomb. <laughs> Yeah, oh, Tannenbaum. Yeah, now, now there's there's just there's just Teutonic play, paganism right there. That's 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 just you know, I I have to laugh. You know, all the uh, all the sacred oaks and the high places of the old Canaanite religions just get recycled into a you know. Let's gather around the old Tannenbaum and. Uh, <laughs> Okay. okay, I did get a Christmas. I, I was I wasn't going to get a Christmas tree this year. We, my wife and I were saying, uh, too tired, not not going to do it. And and then I uh, I I had to get one for the church, and they're kind of small this year because uh, the crop's not good, mm-hmm. and uh, they it has to do with the depression back in the in two thousand eight, and um, but then I got I, I got so I got a little one. My my wife said, okay, if you're going to get one, get one. That's my height, her height, and uh, and she's short. So, and I did. I, I had her stand next to it. It's exactly her height. So, I kind of succeeded there. But I wasn't going to get one this year. Oh, we we cheated. We got an artificial one. I, I won't. I won't permit one in the church. I I, I would consider it at home. But yeah, it, it's just another thing to store in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, that's that's one of the benefits I have as a layman, so I can do that. Uh, Bill, we got to take a little break here. We got a lot more oh, to talk about about Christmas. We have, we have a lot to talk about with Santa Claus, though. Okay, so Santa Claus. We'll atomic bomb. Atomic bomb. <laughs> Today on Issues Etc., we'll discuss the California megachurch's attempt to bring a two-year-old girl back to life. Our guest will be Pastor Chris Rosebro. And we want your answer to the question, what is your favorite Christmas hymn and why? Vote in advance at facebook.com slash issuesetc. Email talkback at issuesetc.org or on Twitter at issuesetc. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. So the carol goes. 
Every Christmas, we are reminded of our true love and what He has given us as He took on human flesh to rescue us. This Christmas season, we celebrate that with you for the full 12 days of Christmas on KFUO. Enjoy beautiful Christmas music, scripture readings, and greetings from our missionaries, military chaplains, and other servants of Christ. The 12 days of Christmas, Christmas to Epiphany on KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance. Coming up on the next MOA weekend, I'll share thoughts with you about Isaiah 43, chapter 1. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Perhaps there'll be some waters you will pass through soon. So what do you do when you feel like sinking? I'll talk about it on the next MOA weekend, this Saturday and Sunday at 7.45 a.m. right here on Worldwide KFUO. So long as there is time, God won't leave us alone, even if we say that's what we want. The message of Christmas is that God has come to be with us and he's here to stay. How do we know? Dr. Michael Ziegler says God has given us both direct and indirect signs that point us toward this truth. Hear Dr. Ziegler's message this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. One of the most famous pieces of sacred music ever, Handel's Messiah, debuted in 1741. A composer for the Chapel Royal in London, Handel was said to frequently declare pleasure in setting the scriptures to music. But in 18th century London, such an idea as performing words of the Bible was highly controversial. When Charles Jennings wrote the text for a musical performance about the life of Christ, completely taken from the Bible, he asked Handel to compose the music. In 24 days, Handel completed the 260-page oratorio and performed it with huge success in Ireland. Not so in London a year later. Handel conducted 30 performances of Messiah, but he considered it a piece for the Easter season, not for Christmas. Verses from Isaiah, Matthew, Job, Psalms, Revelation, and more grace the pages of this well-known masterpiece. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. Guest pastor today is Bill Swirla from Hacienda Heights, California. He's uh, the pastor for Holy Trinity Lutheran Church out there. And we're talking about different aspects of Christmas. Now, I, I started the show, Bill, by sort of facetiously saying, well, gee, how do we, how do we reconcile Santa Claus with, with the birth of Christ? But a more serious question is, I think, with children where we go out of our way to somehow convince them that Santa Claus is real, not that he's a myth. <laughs> and I can see where that would confuse a child where the child is being taught about the baby Jesus, and then they're being taught about about Santa Claus. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm glad you sort of framed it that way. That there is a, a large conversation amongst child psychologists and uh, uh, you know people who have religious um, beliefs and people who don't. Santa Claus is not a religious figure. Saint Nicholas was. I mean, he was the Bishop of Myra, staunch defender of Nicene Orthodoxy. Legend has it that he smacked Arius the heretic. So you know that that's kind of an interesting visual right there. You know, Santa Claus kind of like smacking some heretic, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but you know that's and and I think some of that uh, arises from um, 
Saint Nicholas, the bishop, um, was uh, had a, a real heart for the poor, and especially the children. Um, part of his legend is that he uh, supplied some, or he gave some money for some young girls uh, for their dowry, so that they would not be forced into prostitution. So, I mean, this guy was engaged uh, and and seriously uh, um, had a, had a heart for the poor. So yeah, that's that's the 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 Christian figure behind all this, but that's long removed from Santa Claus, which, as I, I indicated in the prior segment, is a, an amalgam of Northern U- European figures, you know, the Father Christmas kind of thing, uh, and really didn't uh, really didn't appear in America until like the 18th century. Um, and I think it was it first the the term Santa Claus first appeared in some newspaper article somewhere in the 1700s. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I knew that the yeah. first illustration was by uh, Thomas Nast, the uh... Thomas Nast, the political ca- caricaturist. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He kind of created the the image, and then it's been kind of retooled. And sometimes he has a pipe. You know, smoking's no not good now, so he yeah. doesn't have a pipe anymore. But but. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, and, and the image is, is it's, it's iconic. You, you don't, for, you know, your basic American kid, you don't, you don't have to explain who that is or everybody knows Santa Claus and he's part of parades. But that kind of gets into the thing of this blurring of legend and reality that, that, um, and this is where I think we as adults have to kind of like, uh, put our little kid hats, take our little, little kid hats off and all the sentimentality and, and have a little bit of a conversation just about, um, how are how are we training our children from a very young age to have both an imagination and a grasp on reality? Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a, a, a classic little piece where he was bemoaning the fact that people had no place in their lives for fairy tales anymore. We become all very scientific and evidentiary and this kind of thing. And uh, and so he was a great lover of, of fantasy and imagination and myth and allegory. And these are these are wonderful things because they stimulate the imagination. Uh, and the imagination is how the word that is heard becomes a living sort of picture in our minds. You know, think about sitting in the radio mm-hmm. uh, and listening to like radio dramas. You know, this is before we had all the visual stuff. Oh, we still do and, radio dramas here at, uh, on the weekend for our children. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and those stimulate imagination. Reading stimulates imagination in ways that movies don't. Movies kind of show you what you were reading and it's not always as good as what your imagination cooks up. Um, but there's this this business of discernment of reality, and and I think what troubles me and what troubles some about the Santa Claus myth is that it doesn't stay in its place. But but Santa actually consumes the milk and cookies that are left out, mm-hmm. and and he leaves goods behind. So I mean he delivers, and so you know you have the you have the sort of largesse of commercial yeah. Christmas under your tree, all thanks to Santa Claus. And I remember even my parents, there would be mom and dad gifts and Santa gifts. So yeah, you know, we did the like same t- thing. We did the same. Taking it to the next level, and uh, and then of course you see Santa in all these places. Uh, you see him at the mall. You see him in the Macy's parade. You see him all over the place. And uh, we didn't have we had. We had a, a furnace. We lived in the city, so we didn't have a 
fireplace and chimney. But, uh, you know, we knew the lore that he comes down the chimney. We didn't ask a lot of questions, uh, you know, when it came to that. Now, I do recall, I do recall that as I became like age four or five, having some questions because like the reality wasn't lining up for me. Yeah. And I don't know how old I was, and I'm the oldest of my siblings. I don't know how old I was when when mom kind of came clean and says, you know, we're just making this stuff up, but he's not real. And I had long suspected that was the case, but then I had, then she gave me this warning: don't don't tell your your little brother and sister, and you know, don't don't say this out in the neighborhood. Okay, so it was like <laughs> it was like I was part of the conspiracy now, <laughs> and and I wonder. Whether this is whether this is this is a good idea for for a number of reasons. Let's let's think religion for a second. Is that we believe in the things unseen, so we don't mm-hmm. see our Lord Jesus Christ, we don't see God in His triunity. We pray, um, and we we talk to God. Now, you know, as a kid, what's the difference between Santa, who's not real, and Jesus, who we claim died and really rose from the dead? Uh, there's a little bit of a problem there. And, there and is. I think- and you know, there, there was a cartoon that uh, from Calvin and Hobbes some years mm-hmm. ago. And Calvin's walking in winter and talking to his, his buddy Tiger, the uh, Hobbes, and saying, I don't understand how Santa Claus does all this, how he manages to get all these toys and how he goes all around the world and how he knows who everybody did everything on this and who is good and who is bad. And you know, some, I've got the same questions about God. <laughs> see, see, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. You, yeah. you, you really do stop and think about it, but I think it's worth stopping and thinking about. Um, and you mentioned the theological content, too, you know, thanks to the song Santa Claus is Coming to Town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake, which, you know, these days I'm wondering whether he's co-opted my ring camera. Okay, you know, and, and so so there's a, there's a creepy element to the thing. Like, he's like always watching you, and I'm not really comfortable with that. True story. And True story. He, when I was in college, he, we, 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 around Christmas time, we all had to put in these little, these little funny skits for the fraternity house. <clears throat> so what I did was I was wearing a heavy trench coat and dark glasses and a fedora, and I did uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town with a German accent. He sees you when you're sleeping, and he yeah, knows yeah. when you're awake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just find the whole imagery kind of creepy. Yeah, oh, and you're telling I agree. a little kid this, you know. I mean, there's some there's some bearded old guy who sees you when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake, okay? And he knows what you've done. He knows what you, he knows if you've been bad or good. And and then and then the whole premise here is that he rewards the good and he punishes the bad, which is a really bad, you know, this bad theology. And 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 what's the difference between God the Father and Santa Claus here? Yes, see, it this is kind of like going it's going haywired a number of levels for me. One one is the actualized myth that you're you're enacting a myth. You're not le- leaving myth in mythland where it belongs. Mm-hmm. Myths are good. I love myths. And they teach truths. Myth doesn't mean falsehood. Myth is a vehicle for truth. Well, it's almost but, drifting over to Catholicism. You know, good works are rewarded. Well, yeah. It, theologically, you know, you have this problem of, you know, he's watching you all the time. He's omniscient, omnipresent, the whole deal. And and he's going to reward the good and punish the evil, which is pure law. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> and this is the overlay for Christmas. So I'm I, I have trouble with this. And, uh, you know, it, it's not as, it, you know, like the Easter Bunny is just playing dumb. 
So, <laughs> so like nobody buys that one. Okay. No, no. <laughs> but, but I would say that the Easter bunny is, is kind of like, that's a, that's a, a sort of a fairy tale-ish thing that ca- that's contained. Um, you know, like nobody in their right minds thinks this is real. Oh yeah, no, we we celebrated that when I was a kid. I remember it would be the chocolate rabbits, and we used to do oh, Easter yeah, egg yeah, hunts. We had, but we you had know, all. That's, it, it, was never, of, it was never told that the Easter Bunny is real. Speaking of appropriation, I mean, Easter is just chock full of of uh, appropriations, but it's all around the theme of of life and new life and things like that. So it's, it's again, it's an example of how Christianity just kind of sponges up everything and, and turns it into a proclamation of Jesus. If you actually get around to proclaiming Jesus. So, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, you have a variety of levels of, you, know, you have a variety of problems here. You know, first of all, how's a kid supposed to trust his parents on deep matters of philosophy and theology if they've been lying to the kid for five years about Santa Claus? And not only lying, but actually acting out the lie, reinforcing yeah. it with, with, with phony evidence. And, and let's face it, for me, you know, in my scientific mind, evidence-based reasoning is, is, is key to critical thinking. The, the, the one thing I would want to teach any kid is, is to discern the evidence, look at the evidence. And, and uh, so, you know, I'd love to take just a bunch of kids through an evidentiary apologetic of Santa Claus. Mm. Okay, let's, let's, let's see how it holds up to, you know, the evidence and, and propose more reasonable explanations for what you're observing, yeah. kind of, that kind of thing. Yeah. Let's see, you now, aerodynamic reindeer... And somehow, the... oh yeah, the, well, yeah. You notice how you notice how a lie is never self-contained, but it, it takes lies to keep it going. Oh yeah. So 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 you know the story doesn't hold water. So then you have to concoct reindeer, you know, <laughs> which don't fly. Okay, you ever seen a reindeer? It's it's just like it's it's somewhere between a deer and a moose. Okay, but. But it's not going to fly, and I, I can, I can, I can, eat, I can tell you, if you hit that with your car, you're in a world of hurt when you hit a reindeer. <laughs> so, but yeah, and and so you have this, you have this issue of distrust. You have this issue of lying. You have this blurring of reality and fantasy. And again, I like fantasy, and I celebrate imagination, faith has an imagination we we don't we don't see angels we believe they exist mm-hmm. um you know they occasionally show up and then they scare the daylights out of everybody yeah, right. so the first thing they have to say is fear not you know okay well, <laughs> okay, but, okay. <laughs> but, it's like the pre- but, you know, the, the child's for if i die before i wake oh i'm gonna stay awake all night <laughs> yeah right <laughs> that's right not going to sleep uh, <laughs> how many kids never go to sleep because of that prayer uh, you know. <laughs> oh, uh, um but uh and and then this this idea of of critical thinking this this ability to um weigh the evidence and and i think there's something really insidious and and, and this is something that's creeping into i think our cultural religious thinking is that we believe in spite of the evidence in other words we turn our reason off and that's people's notion of believing never mind the evidence this is what i believe that's not biblical faith biblical faith does not um does not overrule reason biblical faith goes beyond reason where reason can't go i believe that i cannot by my own 
reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, but it doesn't overturn reason. See, and that's the problem because, I mean, how do, what's our basis of confidence that Christ rose from the dead? Mm. It's an evidentiary argument. Well, you know, there's, I, I saw that movie, uh, The Case for Christ, where uh, mm-hmm. an investigative reporter went out and actually tried to determine the evidence. And, and so there, there was actually a lot of evidence to support the fact that, that Jesus did exist, was crucified, and did rise from the dead. That's uh, right. It, it, it's a, it, is, it is a reasonable historic mm-hmm. argument. Well, one thing my, my parents did, I think, that separated Santa Claus from Jesus for me is that we went to church regularly. And, you know, my, there was, you know, my mother would take me and, you know, there's no fans or buts. This is about God. This is about Jesus. He exists. Don't even question it. But Santa Claus, yeah, yeah, that was something completely separate. Yeah. And and I had the same experience. You know, I, I, I have vivid childhood memories of this enormous life-size crucifix, which was in the front of, uh, at the front of our church behind the altar. And, um, it's kind of funny that when you said that, I thought of a childhood thought that I had. And that is that there was nothing about Santa Claus that to me seemed real. The red suit, you know, the whole thing, the whole thing just did not, even the the Santas in the mall just looked like, you know, fat guys in a red suit, okay? But that Jesus hanging on the cross dead, that guy looked real. And, And even in my child's mind, there was a difference between you know that dress up thing and and this 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 man who hung on a cross for my sins and so um you know i i think even kids are able to discern that but i i at the same time i have to say that i our, my, my parents didn't really push the myth really hard i i think they i think they were mostly afraid that we would tell like all the other kids on the block that there's no such thing as santa claus you know mm. <laughs> There's always one family like that, you know. That was for me. That was a family across the street. Great family, loved them. My best friend was from that family, but but their mom was really progressive, and oh. like she she oh man, she was telling the kids all kinds of adult stuff when they were kids. So those kids were like a fountain of information. Oh boy, <laughs> we we loved it. <laughs> but you know, when I look back, when I look back, that lady who raised four four boys on her own. Um, that lady um, taught in her own way, in her own sort of geniusy way. She taught critical thinking, and 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 I look back and she's one of the formative. She doesn't know this, but she's one of the formative people, uh, you know, in my education beyond school, uh, as, as somebody who taught critical thinking, and 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 I think that's kind of awesome. So I would encourage parents to teach your kids to think critically. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, let's deconstruct this sandwich, yeah. shall we? <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember a, uh, another story. This is before I was born, during World War II. Uh, you know, my dad was overseas, and uh, so my my brother, who was at the time just you know just little kid, he was born in '39, and uh, one day one of his playmates had said that there's no Santa Claus, and he was just, Mike was just really stricken by that. So my mother, her sisters, and our grandfather conspired <laughs> they oh, <can't>. see <laughs> and they got a friend who actually had a sleigh and a horse <laughs> see yeah. that's exactly what i'm talking about yeah but, you know i i, I think 
I mean, quite truthfully, and maybe more so in our time than ever before. Uh, you know, I'm 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 taken back to that scripture in Second Timothy. From infancy, you have known the holy scriptures that are able to make you wise to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul writes to Timothy, you know, mm-hmm. and Timothy he knows the scriptures from infancy, from his mother and his grandmother, who are both believers. And and rather than filling our kids' heads with with you know basically Santa nonsense is I, I think we need to be immersing them even more deeply in the Christmas stories, the narratives of, of Christmas and and the faith that, you know, is built around that. That the the whole point of this day is that the word became flesh, that the eternal Son of God, the second person of the undivided Holy Trinity, took on humanity and and dwells among us and you know that god is touchable god is god is right here with us and and i think there's so much for the imagination to ponder like mary pondered these things in her heart uh-huh. uh, why clutter it with with <laughs> this this icon of consumerism <laughs> but i don't want to be that yeah i don't want to be that christian you know that christian that just takes the fun out of everything it's yeah. all fun but but let's leave it at let's leave it at the fun level. But there's a there's a point where we get like deadly serious about Christmas because oh. it is a deadly serious holy day. Well, it is. I mean, it's, it is, with the exception of the resurrection, that is the turning point in history. Well, it, it's 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 the start of the work. Yeah. In, a, in, yeah. in essence, you know, the plan conceived from all eternity is 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 begun now with the birth from. The Virgin, and and he's born to die. Um, by the way, there's a there's a great I think it's a Durer woodcut where, and I use it sometimes for uh, bulletin art, uh, where you got the the child in the manger and Mary and Joseph there, and there's just kind of a uh, it's like a lean to covering over over the manger, but the the beams of that covering form a perfect cross, hmm. and it's unmistakable. You know, neither crib nor cross refusing goes the 17th century Hammerschmidt hymn. But see, there's a lot of rich imagery in Christmas. And so, you know, I I think it's important, especially for us retaining our Christian identity in a very secularized world, to keep those images alive. That's why I love nativity scenes. I'm like a junkie for nativity scenes. I can't get enough of them. I've got little ones. I've got big ones. I have a sister-in-law that collects them. We don't need to ask, what are we going to get her for Christmas? Just look for nativity scenes, African ones, South American ones, Asian ones. Um, These are are awesome because they they are basically um, depicting the event. You know, which is different than blurring reality and fantasy here. Oh, but, yeah. And well, they're interpreting it according to the culture of the artist that has that that is producing it. We have a, a in fact, I, I can see it right here from the studio. We've got a nativity scene right out at the lobby. And again, mm-hmm. this was part of my childhood. We always, always had a had a crash, had a, had a nativity scene set up. You know, and and there's a case, too, where as we teach discernment and we speak with critical thinking, we recognize that these nativity scenes are symbols. This is not how it looked. Mm. You know, in all likelihood, this this was this was all just the, the ground floor of a building 
where you, you you kept the animals and it all makes sense in that way but but this is a distilled image like an icon nobody no, when somebody looks at an icon they say that's how he really looked that's like a photograph no it's not it's interpretive and it's symbolic but it's rich in meaning and and that's that's i think the key a good symbol has to be rich in meaning and and that's where a lot of our um a lot of our seasonal symbols just don't have the richness, you know. Why do you hang lights on your on on your shrubbery in the front of the house? Yeah, that's that's not a Christian thing. But, <laughs> but my house is lit I, up, I guarantee you. Yeah, you know, it's funny in, in my neighborhood, uh so the, the, the people come from other countries and they say, Oh, everybody like puts lights up. Mm -hmm. So so they put lights up. You know, but it's like they don't quite get it right, you know, and <laughs> and then they, they don't know to not to take them down. So it, it'd be like a, a dark night in June and the lights are still going, you know, and it's yeah. like, no, 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 that's, that's winter. It's Christmas. Well, well, my neighborhood is heavily Jewish. And I mean, you can walk down the street and just see who's got the lights and who does it. You can tell who's a Christian and who's, a, who's Jewish. <laughs> so. Or can you, you know, my house is dark, A, because I'm busy, B, I'm lazy, okay? I'm not doing that. I barely get the grass cut, okay? So I'm not doing that. In fact, I have to get up and clean my gutters. But we don't. We we hang a wreath on the front door. Does that make me Christian? No, I just hung a wreath on the front door. My Christmas tree is almost totally secular, except for some. Well, I shouldn't say it's about eighty percent whimsical, but it's just for fun, you know. So, uh, well, again, I, I keep looking at the kids on this thing. Where I was lucky, uh, my mother was was very religious, and she made certain that we knew the difference between Santa Claus and Jesus. And even though we, we were taught to believe in Santa Claus, I mean, it was not a serious type thing. Uh, where one of the things that we did, again, I still remember to this day, uh, was the Advent calendar. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, which, for any kid, is just a countdown to Christmas. Oh, it was wonderful. But it was always a religious thing. And I remember my mother... Oh, was it? Yeah, it was... We always did this just before I went to bed, is we'd, we'd open the next day's... Uh, next day's uh, a little calendar, a little window there, and it was it was a big thing, a big deal for me. Mm. Ours were of German origin because my mother is from Germany, and so the the German relatives sent them, and they were very beautifully made. They were beautiful, as I said. Germans really do Christmas, mm -hmm. um, but they were totally secular. They had they had no christian content whatsoever and they were really just a countdown to christmas and the other thing i remember is that they were just covered in glitter which is evil yeah. glitter is like an evil substance that should not be seen anywhere it, it shorts out your keyboard <laughs> but this was pre-keyboard nobody cared nobody cared back then yeah don't get your glitter anywhere near my keyboard i've probably eaten a pound of glitter in my life but, but uh but yeah, but it was a, a source of. I loved when the advent calendar went up, but for me, it was just a countdown to the presents at Christmas. I, I do admit, and I, 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 I had a, I, I had like a seamal experience of Christmas. I was very consumeristic. I, I knew what I wanted. I put in my order, and I couldn't wait to unwrap them. And I was just, I couldn't sleep the day before Christmas. And we we're Christmas <laughs> Eve people, by the way. But I was also religious. I was a spiritual kid, so. I actually walked to church on Christmas Day because I liked that service better. I went by myself and I walked to church uphill both ways in well, the snow. Yeah, right. But but <laughs> no, I, I snow up to your neck, yeah. 
because that one was more churchy. The the one the one on Christmas Eve was kind of gimmicky, you know. They they always did some kind of like programish thing. But I, I just like the straight up the straight up liturgy and and the hymns. And I thought the hymns for Christmas Day were just like really really cool. Hmm. But I went by myself because my parents my parents they were Christmas Eve people, so I went to church and that was it done. Uh, and they just kind of hung out. But well, I, I, I did. I went by myself. Well, Bill, we're just about out of time here. I mm. want to. Thank you for sharing our Christmas memories here. and uh, That was fun. Yeah, it was fun. And also, you know, how these things evolved. And I love the idea of how Christianity has managed to adapt these other traditions for the glory of God. And it's not being co-opted. It's, it's, we're using the tools that are given us. And I think that is a marvelous thing. So I want to thank everybody for joining us for Let's Talk, The Pastor's In, and this is going to be our last program before the first of the year, because we're going to be doing special 12 Days of Christmas programming. God bless you all. You've been listening to The Pastor is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.